Today, we're looking at Mephistopheles, the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub himself. Let it be Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loan. If you're looking to refinance a home or purchase a new home, you need to go to kevinblairteam.com because our friends over at the Element Home Loan, Kevin Blair Team, are the best in the business. Not only will you get great customer care, but you're going to get the kind of customer care that doesn't play games and doesn't have any gimmicks. They're going to pre-qualify you totally upfront, pre-approve you totally for free, and they're going to tell you how much buying power you have. They're not going to try to lure you in with some interest rate that you can't actually qualify for or any promises that they can't actually keep. They're going to make sure that you have all the information that you need to go out and freely purchase your new home. And besides, inflation's not getting any better, folks, so now is the time to act before interest rates go up again. So you need to go to kevinblairteam.com right now and go get pre-approved. And again, you can do that totally for free. And when you go there, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you're ready to crush some echo chambers. Before we get to that, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Now, the echo chamber we're going to be crushing today is, is one that's kind of interesting. I don't often talk about theological concepts and in this case, demonological concepts on the show very often. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about Satan or the devil for a couple of different reasons, which I'll illustrate throughout the show. But perhaps the biggest, most overarching reason is just simply this, is that we have a very pop culture understanding of who Satan is and what evil looks like. And I can exemplify that in a number of ways, but perhaps the best way to do that is to show you Perhaps one of the experts in the field, uh, the most wise and informed among us, Kesha, and her new show, Conjuring Kesha. Kesha here. When I'm not on stage, I'm exploring my connection to the supernatural. Anybody that knows me knows I love staying in a super haunted house. It's kind of my thing. And I'm bringing along my friends for the whole terrifying trip. It's time to go get scary. We're about to go get haunted. Amazing. A lot of things have happened that have been weird, but I'm also like, she was on. nervous. Trust yourself. It's about to get really, really crazy. Why did you bring me here? Wait, what just happened? Is there a spirit here? If it wasn't enough that shows that are on things like the History Channel and Discovery Plus have totally proven to be the repository of all things moronic and stupid, um, as we've covered in the show in the past, Discovery Plus is the home of drag queen kids and other ridiculous shows. Um, it, it, we, we see in the clip I just showed you, the trailer for the show, we see Kesha singing Amazing Grace as the premier way in which to see demonic and evil disturbances in the world. Now, if that's not enough to convince you that we have a moronic conception of what the devil looks like, let me go to some Kesha lyrics very briefly so that I can hopefully solidify in your mind that this is someone that we perhaps shouldn't be trusting with an understanding on a subject so important. And um, one of her songs goes like this. Wake up in the morning, 
feeling like P. Diddy. Grab my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Before I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Now, that just sounds gross. Like, have you ever brushed your teeth, like, right after you drink orange juice? I can only imagine how disgusting that is. Anyway, because when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. Oh, we wish that were true. I'm talking pedicure on our toes, toes, trying on all our clothes, clothes. How do toes try on clothes? Anyway, boys blowing up our phones, phones dropping, topping, playing our favorite CDs, pulling up to the parties, trying to get a little bit tipsy. Now, you might think that she was perhaps tipsy when she wrote that, but um, I assure you she definitely was, but that is not the problem. So as you can see, we perhaps have a very false understanding of what the devil is, but I wanted to speak about this subject today because I think it's very relevant for us. Um, perhaps you, you could go back as far as 9-11 and think about the fact that perhaps we lived in a time of unprecedented peace prior to that moment, and it kind of woke us up to the existence of evil out there in the world. If nothing else, I think it's fair to say that um, in the aftermath of 9-11, uh, the world kind of came together, and certainly here in America we came together, and we, uh, we had a solidified enemy that kind of united us, and once that enemy was defeated in Osama bin Laden, we then were lulled into a sense of, of safety and, and security. But, however, the more we conquer evil, the more we kind of see that it still exists in the world, and to date, we're still seeing evil. Now, since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we're seeing people who are weeping when their states say that they can, in fact, terminate the life inside of their womb. And they're not weeping out of sorrow. Many of the pictures we're seeing is weeping out of joy so that women now have this right to be able to do this barbaric thing. And if we pushed away so much of the talking points around abortion and a woman's right to choose and my body, my choice and bans off our bodies and those kind of things, we would be horrified by the fact that there are a group of people crying for joy that we can terminate life in the womb. But of course, we're not only interested in terminating life in the womb in America, we are also interested in fundamentally mutilating life outside the womb in the trans movement. For example, take this horrific clip of a Boston Children's Hospital doctor speaking about what is quote-unquote called gender-affirming care. So most of the patients that we have in the GEMS clinic actually know their gender, usually around the age of puberty, but a good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb, and they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. They might say phrases such as, I'm a girl, or I'm a boy, or I'm going to be a woman, or I'm going to be a mom. Kids know very, very early. So in the GEMS clinic, we see a variety of young children all the way down to ages two and three and usually up to the ages of nine. When they come into the clinic, they'll see one of our psychologists and we'll be talking to them about their gender. We'll be talking to their family about how to best support that child and how to make sure that that child has the space and support to explore their gender and uh, do well throughout their development. And we'll be answering any parent questions. A lot of parents do have questions and so we answer those questions. The biggest piece of advice I give parents uh, who are coming through the gender clinic at Boston Children's Hospital is to 
to just be supportive. Um, sometimes you might not understand, sometimes you feel like you don't know the terms or you don't kind of get exactly what the child means when they say that they might be this gender, but the biggest thing you can do is just love your child and support them and just allow them to express themselves. That's the biggest protector as well against negative mental health effects such as depression, suicidality, anxiety, that we worry about for our gender diverse kids and young adults. So that support from a parent is one of the best protective factors. So kids basically from birth can tell what gender they are and they're sending us subtle cues straight from the womb. Um, now, all of this is done through the veneer of some expertise. So the fact that this individual has a PhD excuses them from the barbarity that they just displayed on, on that video. So as you can see, we're, we're, we're facing evil all the time, and if we're not careful, we become numb to it. So there's a couple of reasons I wanted to speak about this subject. First of all, it's this, is that I truly believe that the existence of evil is, is a roundabout pathway to belief. In fact, one of the reasons I'm talking about this is I just recently had a conversation with a friend of mine, and in that conversation, uh, he, he told me that he doesn't believe in God, but if there was anything that would make him believe in God, it would be the existence of evil. Now, this friend is somebody who served in the military and I believe has seen active duty. And you can, you can imagine anybody that has seen active duty would have seen evil enough to convince them that there might be a devil, but certainly that evil exists in the world and there needs to be an explanation for that. So quite frankly, I think if we're going to posit that there is evil, it's not too far of a stretch to posit that there may be a source of that evil. And again, we're also going to have to try to find some logical explanation for good because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that evil exists, that suffering exists. Um, and so many times people want to blame God for that. Um, and that is not to say that the devil is to blame for evil and suffering and all of those things. Um, and that's a show for another day. But it is just to suggest this, that if evil can bring us to the belief that uh, God doesn't exist, then what about the good? What about the good things that happen in life and the things that happen to us that, um, that we're thankful for, the, the praiseworthy things in life? Suffice to say, I think good and evil are great ideas that need to be conversed about as much as we possibly can, because I think ultimately when we do so, it brings us to a higher ideal than we often come to in regular conversation and perhaps brings us, even if through the back door, to a understanding that, that God exists. And then the second reason I think it's important to talk about this subject is that it forces us to stare evil in the face. There are a group of people in society that wish to believe that evil doesn't exist. Or even more naively, that the greatest source of evil, that the epicenter of evil in our society today is in Mar-a-Lago and comes in the, in the incarnate form of Donald Trump. And for the person that believes that Donald Trump is basically the devil and there is nothing more evil in society than Donald Trump, um, to those people, I can only ask you to please, for the love of God, grab a Bible. Um, now, for those people, I think it's important for us to explore this subject because evil exists. And we can turn our nose up in the air and allow ourselves and our elitist positions to forget that evil exists. And we can allow prosperity in America, which is unparalleled in history, taking place right now, probably in your life and certainly in mine. Um, and, and we can forget that evil exists, but we must never forget that evil exists because, as it's wisely said, forget the past and you're destined to repeat it. And so we need to 
be reminded of the fact that pedophiles exist, that there is the existence of a group of people who get their kicks out of, out of abusing children. That exists, and that is flat evil. Now, I step back, too, and just say this, that, that sometimes we, we think evil is relegated to the person who maybe just steals out of necessity. No, we're talking about real evil and brings us to a little bit of a deeper understanding of the fact that there may be a really, you know, a real original source of, of this kind of evil. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but we think about people like Hitler and, and a man that would go through the genocidal campaign of the, the Nazi regime and concentration camps. And then we even think about serial killers, people who find joy out of inflicting pain upon others. Where does this evil come from? And, and when, when we are willing to truly deal with this subject, we find ourselves asking some really hard questions that we can't just easily dismiss with personal choice or bad decision making or crimes of passion. No, we're talking about sincere evil. And then third, I, I believe that if we're not careful, if we don't really look at evil and if we don't really look at the idea of Satan, that we will run the risk of claiming that the wrong people are the devil or the wrong things are the devil. And I already illustrated this with Donald Trump, I suppose, but let me put it to you this way. On the show, often I've talked about Nietzsche's The Madman and how in that poem, if you will, that uh, when he declares God is dead, when the madman goes out into the city street and declares God is dead, he says something very interesting. He says this. He says that because God is dead and we have killed him, Blood is on our hands, and now we will no longer have anyone to clean that blood from our hands. In other words, the person who would have cleaned that blood in the past would have been God, but we've killed God, and his blood is on our hands, and now there's no one left to clean that blood. He will also go on to say this, that we'll have to invent our own kind of religious festivals and religious ideas now, and then eventually we'll end up saying this, that we ourselves will have to become God to become worthy of his death. Now, that's a startling statement in, in, that, in that treatise by Nietzsche, who is an atheist. And it's startling because, because of this, because he realizes that when God is removed, something must take his place. Inevitably, the thing that takes the place of God in the death of God movement is the individual. So now you become God and you gain the right to arbitrarily dictate morality for yourself and for the world. And so you take God's place on the throne and you put his crown on your head and you become God. Well, in Nietzsche's world, in the secular humanistic world, if we become God, who becomes Satan? Well, ultimately, the only person left to fill the shoes of Satan in a world where God doesn't exist and therefore Satan doesn't exist is anybody who disagrees with you. You will demonize and castigate anybody who has a differing opinion than you, somebody who rubs you the wrong way, somebody who might even have a different personality than you all of a sudden conveniently becomes the devil. And that's at least a little bit troubling and something that we should be thinking about. And the fourth thing, and the reason I think it's important to talk about this, ultimately will kind of serve as the backdrop for the rest of the show. And I think it is the most important thing to talk about here. And I, and succinctly it's this, is that not only do you blame the wrong person for evil, but you don't know who to fight if you don't get the right person. In other words, you're going to go around blaming your mother-in-law constantly for all the things that are happening in your marriage if you are not effectively identifying evil 
and then by identifying it, effectively fighting it. The reason I bring this up perhaps more than anything is this, is that if you correctly identify the enemy, you can finally fight that enemy and stop it. Stop it! It makes me think about that scene from Rocky. If I can change, and you can change, Everybody can change! Well, the problem with this scene is that change is really hard, especially when you think about changing the way that you think. Well, that is unless you can find the thing that's making you think the way you're thinking. If there is a force outside of you that's causing you to think that, and you can actively push back against that force so that it can fundamentally change the way you think, by the way, a promise given to us in Scripture, well, then perhaps change really can be possible. If you find that change is harder and harder to come by, especially the older you get, like me, then perhaps you might want to change the way you're fighting and correctly identify the real villain. Let me illustrate that for you. We can't effectively identify Satan so very often, as I illustrated at the beginning of the show with people like Kesha, because we have a pop culture understanding of who Satan is and who the devil actually is. And so we get that from tradition and from history and from mythology of the past. In fact, you think to yourself um, about the, the idea of what Satan actually is. This fork-tongued, bifurcated pitchfork in one hand, you know, forked tail, red scaly skin, huge horns. Where did this idea of Satan even come from? In fact, I, I suppose it's important to talk about Satan because of what C.S. Lewis said in light of this idea, that we get the wrong idea of who Satan is and the wrong ideal of evil if we don't correctly identify him. And so it's important to undermine this comic book version of who Satan is. Um, and so where does that idea come from? Well, it's handed down to us in a couple of different places. We get the idea of the modern-day Satan from places like Greek mythology and, of course, the, the evil god Pan and his goat-like legs and the mischief that he plays upon others. In fact, John Milton will use this same imagery when he paints his picture of Satan. He will give him goat-like legs and hooved feet. But if we go even a little bit further back, we also see Dante uh, exemplifying Satan kind of in a different way, but also we, we see we get some of our modern understanding from him um, because he paints the picture of a huge behemoth-like creature with bat-like wings. Now, he has a chest of, of ice, um, which, is, which is interesting, and there's more to that story, but, but, but you see like the bat-like wings kind of is carried over. And then we also have uh, Greek mythology, which gives us so much of what we've seen in our modern understanding of, of Satan. And then you have other traditions like Zoroastrianism and even the Persian Empire and their understanding of an evil being. Now, taken all together, there are many people who then infer, because we have this perverted pop culture understanding, comic book-like version of Satan, that, that because of that, um, the Bible really, specifically the Old Testament, really doesn't parse out for us that uh, there is such an evil being known as Satan. Well, I want to debunk that really quick, and then I want to go to the biblical version of who Satan is, because I think it's the most helpful. Um, so we're told that uh, if you go to places like worldhistory.org and uh, do other searches on the subject of Satan, we're told that there is no real kind of person of Satan teased out in the Old Testament. And of course, that's totally false because you can go as far back to what most scholars believe is the earliest book written in the Old Testament, which is the book of Job. And there we have a character named Satan who is going around accusing Job and trying to 
prove that his faith is false. And the word Satan there literally means accuser. So we have a being already in the earliest tradition of scripture where we have an accuser figure who is trying to come between God and his creation. Now, we, of course, go to the book of Genesis, which some believe was written later than actually the book of Job, but certainly an early tradition in Christian history. And so we don't have Satan per se, but we have the serpent. And the serpent is this whisperer who is there coming to to speak to Eve. Now, I say whisperer because his name in Hebrew actually can mean whisperer. And you think to yourself, how does a serpent actually speak? Well, a serpent speaks with hisses, as it were, or whispers. And, of course, that's what we see the serpent doing in the garden. He's, he's whispering to Eve, you know, subtly in her ear and telling her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, there's so much we could say there, but this is very, a very important point. The fact that Satan was a whisperer and that he was trying to convince Eve to do something that was a mixture of good and evil. Not just pure, straight-out evil. Not, not like we illustrated before with the serial killer or with Hitler or with Stalin or with any other, you know, fiend in, in history past. No, we, we, we think about the idea that the original sin was ultimately a deceptive veneer of good with evil underneath. And, of course, we see that, too, with a later interpretation of the devil, of Satan, when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And, of course, he's trying to tempt him not with debauchery, with drunkenness, with lustfulness. No, he's trying to tempt him to do something in particularly important. He's trying to tempt him to receive praise and worship without a cross. Now, there's a lot to say about that, too, but essentially, here's what we have. It's not bad to worship Jesus. It's not bad to honor him for being God, but it is bad to do it in an illicit way, in a cheap way, if you will. And this is what Satan is trying to do, to gravitate towards cheap worship, illicit worship, and a a worship that is not relegated in the realm of truth. And so if we look at the Bible, we get a much more robust, a much more important adaptation of what Satan actually was historically from a biblical perspective. See, he wasn't just some perversion of Zoroastrianism or Persian mythology or Greek mythology that Christians hijacked in the present to try to to try to scare people into heaven with. No, the, the Bible gives a very clear and important image of what Satan looks like that I think is relevant for each and every one of us today. And again, it's relevant because of this. If we know what we're fighting, we can actually fight it effectively. This is like rule number one in in warfare, that you have to know your enemy, and the better you know your enemy, the better equipped you are to handle that enemy. And so I have a question for you. Who would promote sexual promiscuity while desperately trying to ensure that the population right falls through abortion, trans surgeries that cause infertilization and other eugenic practices? Who would do that? You know, tell you to get your kicks, but also ensure that the birth rate is declining. Who would deceive a group of women by assuring them that there is no such thing as female and that everything a man can do and is, a woman can do and is. And in the process, Destroy everything that is feminine by collapsing it into the masculine, all while calling that feminism. You know, who would do something like that? Who would convince a generation of deconstructionists that a couple of bad pastors and some butt hurt means that the church should be utterly demolished, if ever rebuilt, or at least broken down all the way to the foundation and then rebuilt because it needs to be destroyed?
Now, who would deceive a group of people to focus on the past transgression of a religion, you know, talking about their warfaring or their usage of slaves at a time when everybody was warfaring and everyone had slaves? Who would cause us to focus on that um, thousands-year-old history and minute as it was, in the meantime, forgetting to focus on the present battles of how people are enslaved in their mind today. Who would totally pervert truth by calling a man a woman, a mass murderer, a mass shooter? It's an important distinction, I would think. Or call a border something that's inhumane and, and, and evil. All the while, there are illegal aliens sneaking into the country and raping 10-year-olds and getting them pregnant. So, in, in other words, I'm saying this. Who would be behind the degradation of morals and the elimination of the human species, all while trying to convince us that that evil is actually good? Ultimately, we come away from the Bible and a look at Satan or the devil in the Bible with a couple of things. That one, there is an evil being, a source of evil. So that is not to suggest that all evil out there is caused by the devil. That's a fabrication in a medieval uh, understanding of evil as well. That, that's not to say that, but it is to say that there is an evil being out there. And if we correctly identify him, which is the whole point of this final point that I want to make, if we correctly identify that there is an evil being out there that is bigger, perhaps stronger than us, and, and we need a weapon to be able to defeat that enemy, then it leads us ultimately to the conclusion that we need something bigger and something more powerful than we are capable of doing ourselves. Now think about this way. Just when we think we've defeated the evil of Hitler, along comes a Mao and kills even more people, more of his own people than, than Hitler even ever dreamed of. In other words, just when we think we've solved evil, we find that there is more evil out there to conquer. It tells us that, one, the job is not done and we need to continue and we need to be personally responsible for making our world a better place and personally responsible for creating a future for our children that is better than the one that we live in. But it also reminds us that if we're not powerful enough, we might need a greater power to fight this enemy. So there is an evil being. And then two, that that evil being hates God and wishes to attack God's most precious creation, you and me. And that he does this by slightly altering the truth, by making it look like it's good on the outside, by giving it a veneer of good, but inside making it a deadly poison. So this is why I wanted to talk about this. Not only because, again, it's a backdoor to belief in God, and I'll take what I can get in a society where men are women and women are men. Uh, but, but I also wanted to talk about this because it helps us understand the battle that we're facing today and the things that we need to do to make sure that we're on the front lines. So even evil is often this superficial thing that appears good, but is fundamentally deadly. That's the idea we get from taking a look at Satan in the Old Testament and in the New. And so four final things I give you as we end this time of looking at evil and the evil one. We have to fight false virtue. Ultimately, this is the original sin, to take upon yourself the knowledge of good and evil without God. So the true source of knowledge, God himself, is removed from the process of good and evil. Now, that, that is not to say that there is not sources of information out there that are secular in nature that we don't need to investigate, but it is just simply this, that to truly have a correct epistemic 
uh, referent, if you will, or an ontic referent for the truth, which just simply means this. To correctly understand the truth, we have to have an example of the truth. That's the way that we as humans think. So, so we need to have an understanding of God to truly discern truth. And Satan ultimately was offering the opposite of that. He was offering false virtue without the one who truly can give virtue. In other words, the original sin is virtue signaling. Is it any wonder that we see virtue signaling all over the map today, especially in America? Is it any wonder that we see a group of people with indignation and unjustified moral outrage on a number of subjects, but they themselves have no feet to stand on? Well, the original sin is to take upon yourself a virtue that you did not actually earn. And we have to fight that wherever we see it. And then we also have to fight weaponized empathy. And by that, I mean this kind of thing. The idea that to actually be a loving person, you must do this. And often the thing that you must do in our present society today, and this is the demonic nature of things, that when you love somebody, the thing you must do to prove your love to them is you must lie to them. Now, I'm thinking of things like saying another person's pronouns. Now, that is a radical redefinition of, of love. In the past, we never would have defined love by lying to people or telling them things that don't exist or letting, letting them get away with the idea that they can be a zimzer and, and, and z and, and, and all of these other things. That people can walk around with a severe deception and that it would be anything other than loving to, to remind them that what you're talking about doesn't exist. Now, we are encouraged to do that. And by and large, many people will do that. In fact, because people love comfort more than truth and they want to go about their day whenever a person says, hey, you misgendered me or you didn't give my correct pronouns and they come up with a litany of created and fabricated unicorn leprechaun pronouns, most people will do it just, just say what those people ask them to say just to be nice. But we must remind ourselves that we are doing so at the expense of truth and that that is not loving. Benevolence is never a lie. So weaponized empathy is this idea that we're, we're, we're fighting people to get them to be empathetic or that you can give them the label of empathetic only if they do it through extortion, that I'm going to extort you and you're not loving unless you do what I say. Now, the other thing I think we need to fight is radical subjectivity. The idea that there is no such thing as truth or the idea that social media and hearts and likes and whether or not people comment on your posts are actually the thing that dictates what is real in the world. We cannot fight this enough. It's the idea that we can curate reality for ourselves and that whatever gets the most likes is indeed the thing that has the most value. But of course, we know that not to be true. In fact, a quick search of the most liked picture on Instagram will not reveal that the most liked picture is Kylie Jenner's butt, but actually an egg. That's right. A farm fresh egg set against a beautiful backdrop is the most liked picture in all of Instagram history. So I hope we can understand the idea that Radical subjectivity, or in other words, my feelings, my sense of self, or my interpretation of things, or just merely my experiences, are enough to dictate what truth is. Objective truth exists, and that is a truth that is outside of the individual. It's a truth whether you like it or not, in other words. And we must stand for that kind of truth. So whenever we hear people saying, my truth and your truth, we must say, I don't believe in your truth, and I don't care about my truth. I care about the truth. And finally, we must fight 
the idea of replacement theology. Now, I'm thinking, this is a, a term that I created, but ultimately it's the idea that we call the left religious. Um, I actually take exception to the term because I don't think the left is religious. I think the left is cultic. So again, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. There's nothing religious about that other than that they're wishing to hijack religious language there to manipulate other people's emotions and thinking. Um, and it's so ridiculous on its face unless, of course, you fall for that kind of stuff. And this is why we cannot allow people to replace true, good, biblical theology with human emotional talking points meant to manipulate other people. This is happening so often with the original sin being racism, or the original sin of America at least being racism. If we constantly make that mistake, we will never actually get to the heart of the thing that actually causes racism. I spoke about this in my show with Chris Buckley just recently, that, that actually hate is a heart issue. It's never about a skin issue, and that heart issue must be addressed, and that heart issue is sin, and everyone's, whether you're a KKK member or not, everyone's propensity to sin. Unless we find a cure for that, we will never find a cure for racism. And so a moment ago, I asked who would do the kind of things that we're seeing in society today? What kind of person, a being, or idea would promote unbridled pleasure while ultimately stripping people of dignity and meaning? Well, I'd say that thing or that person is demonic. Any ideas that superficially sound good but are fundamentally evil is classically evil, and it must be understood this way, and it must be withstood. It would sound something like this today. A night of pleasure can culminate in an unplanned pregnancy. That's okay. Just take a pill, and you can have unbridled pleasure without any consequences. That is, until you take that pill, and then you have to see your unborn baby in a toilet that you have to flush and then potentially have side effects like 10,000 women have had from the abortion pill in a study that was taken in 2020 in the UK. It's like those drug commercials from the past. Take this pill and it'll cure dry skin. It also may cause explosive diarrhea, premature baldness, excessive bleeding, dry mouth, sudden dying, anal bleeding, and more. The repercussions are always way worse than the remedy. This is the promise of evil, and no matter in what form it comes from, and, and no matter if it comes from the devil, or a political ideology, or a Democrat, or a Republican, we must always keep this in mind. The truth matters. You can't handle the truth! And the truth, which I can't handle, Jack, by the way, is that if evil exists, it's plausible that there is an evil one, and we must find something strong enough to defeat that evil one. And I can only think of one person that is fit for the job. And I think you'll have to go back to the Bible to find that person. Sorry, atheist. All right, guys, I hope that was helpful to you. If it was, please comment below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.